Alright, hello and uh, welcome to Love in the Time of Raymond, a Everybody Loves Raymond recap podcast. I'm uh, your host, Matt, joined by my co-host... Kevin, yeah, hello. You could have been a little snappier with that. Yeah, but, sorry. Uh, here we are. We're here to recap two more episodes in our now... Um, you know, it's an institution. Must love Raymond. Yeah, I would ten, people over 10 downloads? I was going to say over 10 out of 10 in the you know, average rating. Oh, 10, yeah, in my rating. I have rated it several times across several different platforms, yeah. It gets 10... Uh, what should be our, like, rating thing? I mean, there's got to be something, some unit that Raymond uses. I mean, we could do it, peanuts, cashews, and uh, whatever. <laughs> thing. That's an inside Raymond joke. Well, not not for you Raymond podcast listeners. <laughs> yeah, no, and then, then that's that's coming later. That's just a little taste of uh, things to come. A salty, nutty taste of what's to come. Salty, nutty, juicy... I'm going to have to make this one an explicit listing. All right. Yeah, and NSFW. I'm cutting these, juice. These episodes kind of were. Uh, well, I, I said that they were clean when I uploaded them to various streaming services. So take that as well. Well, no, not this. I mean the, the episodes three and four. Oh, they were saucy. They were yeah, saucy. Yeah, it's, it's smut filth. <laughs> it was, you know, patently disgusting. I was repulsed throughout. It was. I had a, I had that's a bar bucket. <laughs> yeah, your Raymond branded barf bucket at the ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, has... I'm sure that it got uh, ample use in these two uh, stellar episodes, and I think I think we will probably talk about how the quality of the show does shift a little bit here, right? It it kicks up a notch. They really hit their stride. But uh, before we get to that, we should thank uh, the 23 <laughs> listeners who. Uh, you know, who's to say who made it to the one hour and six minute mark? But uh, I'll assume everyone. Yeah. And I figured like 23, they're probably households of 12 to 15 people who listen, <laughs> yeah, like, who listen he's like together. He's like houses uh, in, in violation of the brothel laws where there's like <laughs> yeah. whole families living together being forced to listen to Muscle of Raymond at night. People are people are violating the COVID restrictions to listen to this podcast they got to do something and uh well today so we're gonna recap episodes three and four of the first season of everybody loves raymond and uh if these titles don't do it for you i don't know what will i wish i were gus and uh standard deviation Mm. but um before we get to that right we have to talk about the theme music so yeah it would have been part of the summary the show opens with uh a touch of the raymond theme and um I was doing a little research over the uh, over the gap here, and I found that the theme was composed by like a pretty uh, you know critically acclaimed musician, Rick Morata, who's a drummer. Yeah. Is this? Is this? Did you figure this out too? Yeah, he uh, he played on "Peg" by Steely Dan. Yeah, he played on a whole bunch of Steely Dan. He played on. Um, I think he played on "Don't Take Me Alive." Yeah, I saw he was he had um, "Royal Scam," Asia. And I think maybe Katie lied in his uh, well, I checked, credits. I checked the track by track. Yeah, he played on Don't Take Me Alive and uh, Everything You Did, which is the worst song on The Royal Scam. Um, yeah, it's a bit lackluster. But he's got, like, I, I checked, like, up and down. He's got, like, 40 big artist credits, like uh, Hall & Oates, Aretha Franklin, Todd Rundgren, um, a whole bunch. 
Um, Steely Dan was the one that stood out to me too. But then I checked. I was like, oh, did he play on like big albums by any of these guys? Uh, not really. Um, he played on like a like a mid seventies Aretha record that didn't go too far. He played. And he played on like one song. Um, but like I don't want to make fun of him because he actually has like a a huge resume as a studio guy. And his oh, yeah. drums are amazing. Oh yeah, his yeah his compendium is very impressive, and it it makes sense for Raymond though because I reading between the lines he's probably like an Italian guy from like Nassau County or oh no he's from he's from New York City so it could be anywhere um that's all it's what's listed on Wikipedia but the, you know one of the few artists that he really played on the whole album for he uh oh he played on several full Yoko Ono albums oh god yeah he was like uh, tied to John Lennon he's on Mind Games. Oh, he plays on Mind Games? I actually yeah. I I like that album. Yeah, he's he's the drummer for Mind Games and he plays like a couple whole Yoko Ono albums. I heard some uh John Lennon Plastic Ono band song I never heard before the other day. From I, the Plastic Ono band album? N- no, it's um I think I think it was one of the later ones. It's just I never heard it before. And it, it was almost like a nursery rhyme sort of thing. It was Yoko Ono on lead vocals and it was really excruciating. Yeah, but it's excruciating in, like, you know, an important way. Yeah, kind of like during the plague when the monks used to whip themselves on their backs. <laughs> Self-flagellation. Really like, yeah, you feel like you're you're becoming a better person. You're you're undergoing some growth because well, of Well, no, but weren't they all into, like, primal scream therapy and, like, literally, like, just, you know, screaming till your voice gives out and you're in total full-body pain? As the a monks way to, like, or Yoko Mono? No, Yoko and John. I I believe so, probably. I haven't. That's also, uh, that's also how the two main members of Tears for Fears met. They were uh, seeing the same primal scream therapist, and I'm not joking about that. Ah, everybody wants to rule the world. The big chair <laughs> themselves. Everybody wants to rule Raymond. Everybody <laughs> wants to love Raymond. <laughs> oh, oh, we have to remember that one. We found another. We found another. All right, so let's get to episode three. It's not delayed too long. I'm on musical. Trivia. Um, episode three is called I Wish I Were Gus. It opens at night, cold open at home. Ray is uh, late getting in, in from work. Deborah, you know, hears him coming, I guess, somehow. I, it was a little mysterious. Yeah, but, it's, um, it's a bit slapped up, uh, slipshod. Yeah, and again, it's like uh, one of the babies is, like, tired in his food, and he makes a, a joke about the baby being drunk. It, it very uh, inconsequential. But yeah. um, what I really cared about here was that uh like i think last episode you mentioned the the conveyor belt intro and yeah, here we saw I, it. I i think we're on this the same track here but go on well first of all i mean it, i was surprised that in the premiere like in the pilot he does this like you know direct address to the camera hi i'm ray romano or does he say barone i don't even know if he's in character or not but he does this like a direct address about his crazy life and his kooky parents and his you know wife and then um it, you know, the second episode, it was gone, kind of like you know enough by now. Then the third episode, they bring that back as the, like, the de facto intro to the show where he tells you, hey, I'm Ray, and this is my family, and he alludes directly to the fact that they're moving behind him on a conveyor belt. Yes, even more meta. But what, what bothers me about it is that in that intro, there's a point where when the kids go by – he leans in and he makes like a smug little face. Oh, I have the same note. He goes, "It's not about the kids; 
But then they lead with a joke about the kids. Yeah, it, it was kind of weird because I, I thought that the whole, like, it's not really about the kids was just like a comment we were making, not like a, we're actively making this not about the kids as like a, you know, guiding premise of the show. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's there's so many layers. It's like James Joyce or something. And then, you know, for, okay, I didn't realize you were going to go in a Joyce direction with it, but uh, <laughs> Robert says everybody loves Raymond again, quote. Yeah, he, get, so, he gets a little delay on the yeah, and he comes in. Well, it was weird because I, I was tracking them. You know, the family's going by behind him, and he's like, you know, my my parents, my wife, my kids. Not really about the kids, and my brother Robert who lives with my parents, and he doesn't show up. But there is like a little like fairy twinkle like bring, that plays when he is absent. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they've written. Oh, is there? I, I didn't notice that. Part. Well, I checked it because it's in episode four too. Um. But then Robert shows up on a delay so he can scowl and say, everybody loves Raymond. Yes. Um, I guess they were really going to do that. They were going to say the title of the show every week. Yeah. I, I think that's their intro for a while. Because I think I was talking about last episode. They changed yeah. it a few more times. They have um, – there's like Ode to Joy one there. But you remembered this one, right? I remember that one. And then I didn't remember this one at all. Then there's one where they, they use Jungle Love by the Steve Miller band. That's the one I remember most. Yeah, so I just didn't know they were going to go with this whole, like, directed dress thing for the uh, for the duration of the show. But anyway, so they cut in, and we're on the couch, and uh, this is the beginning of a very strange running joke where um, Allie, Ray and Deborah's daughter, has um, had some fun with a marker. And, you know, obviously they're worried about the furniture, they're worried about the walls, but it turns out the thing she drew on uh, is her brother. And before we mentioned what she drew um i had a question for you when yeah. when deborah sees ali come in with the marker she goes oh no is that mommy's pen i think i think she said laundry marker well right after that she says the laundry marker and i was like is this a is this an item that you're aware of does people have the laundry markers i know there's like um there's like tide pens that you can like spot but this was like a black sharpie yeah, yeah, it was like almost like she had a whiteboard in the laundry. Well, she, she said just... it like it was such a it was such an institution, it was such a thing. The la- the laundry marker. Yeah, I, I don't. Know. So I guess neither of us are aware of it. Yeah, dear listener, if you uh, know of or in fact use a laundry marker, please let us know in the uh, you know wildly active comment section of whatever platform you're listening to this on. But uh, then, of course, the joke is that what Allie has drawn on her younger brother is a Hitler mustache, <laughs> as any young child would do. Um, one, you know, sharp, discreet mark in the center of the boy's uh, upper lip, and then she would be done. Completely unrealistic. And also, you just don't know to do this unless you know you're making a reference to Hitler. Yeah, so this this four-year-old knows enough about Nazi Germany to know that this Hitler mustache is, like, going to elicit some sort of response. And I immediately pin this on Frank. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we have to imagine that Frank is giving her like a very unique World War II history uh, lesson. I mean, it, it, it's in line with the whole Stella thing from the pilot. Uh, Frank is apparently um, her guiding influence in life. But uh, yeah, so so the baby boy's got a Hitler mustache. And uh, while they're dealing with that, you know, the rest of the family rolls in. And uh, Ray makes a joke about locking the door. And uh, we get some we get some choice lines from Robert here. Uh, number one being, 
You think evil cares about a lock? <laughs> yes, I have that one written down. I actually that got an audible laugh out of me. I did. I, I did like it. I like this portrayal of Robert. Like I started taking to find his Robert job too seriously. Funnier. Yes. Um. I mean, there's still very troublesome elements. The you know, s- trivialization and mockery of mental illness. But the um, the line itself is funny. And then he, uh, you know, we find out in this scene that uh, Ray's. Hundred-year-old uh, Uncle Gus has passed away, and Robert says they haven't ruled out foul play. And yeah, he's really leaning into this, like uh, you know, overachiever cop thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it makes him a bit more relatable than he was in the first two episodes, where he was just he was like Boo Radley or something. This yeah. Until he starts, you know, he sits down and starts organizing the, the nuts on the table into peanuts, cashews, and uh, walnut, walnut. I don't remember the third nut. Yeah, I I don't either, but it's it's like a scene that would be in like a prequel to Psycho, where they talk about Norman Bates's psychosis. Which but that's I guess the thing. I was like, I just, a show about that now. It seemed to me like so like oh, this must have been like a really weird thing they ran within the pilot, like in case there weren't enough good ideas floating around. I was like, oh no, they fully intended to make Robert obsessive compulsive for uh, you know the long run. He's that's his thing. Yeah, I I guess so. And now they they're kind of like beefing it up now. And did you notice that when uh when the parents come in to remark upon, you know, the tragedy of Uncle Gus's death, um multiple fat jokes again. This time from Marie. Yeah, yeah, a Makes bit. a reference to the uh, 300-pound nutritionist and uh this so they basically were like two for three in Raymond episodes that include a uh you know, unabashed mockery of obesity. Yeah, not a lot of body acceptance on Raymond's and there's there's a lot of jokes later on, as I recall, about uh, Robert's freakish height and you know circus attraction. Uh, well, yeah, I think, in general, I think freakish is the word they tend to use on the show. <laughs> and and well, so Robert gets the you know you're not smart, you're big, which coming on the heels of a 300 pound nutritionist joke, I assumed was also something of a fat joke. Yeah, it it could be. Robert well, may what, have what, is, what is the deal of this scene? What is the premise? We just we learned that Uncle Gus died and that. Marie has an issue with her estranged sister that stems from Raymond and Deborah's wedding. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And they're also upping just like how petty and callous and terrible Ray's family. Yeah, is. at this point, like, it's not just overbearing. They're like obnoxious people to be around. They're always gossiping about people, insulting people. But anyway, so uh, the 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 come the come away with here is that uh, Ray has to do the eulogy for Uncle Gus. And it's, you know, it's, it's of course, a horrifying undertaking, and he's swimming in, in doubt and anxiety about it. And we get a scene uh, in Ray's makeshift office, which is in the house's basement. And I, I'm interested in your take on the layout here. Yeah, I, I like the water heater right behind nice. Ray. And his, is nice. The nice, like, uh, gateway computer monitor. And his, he's got his giant calendar in the he's background. He's got that big tan computer monitor, which is nice. But yeah, it was all giant stuff. Yeah, which is surprising if he's on Long Island. I thought that was Jets country. Right, so he's on Long Island, and he's got tons of giant stuff. And this is, this actually leads into my, my like uh, continuing conspiracy that this Long Island thing was not Ray Romano's choice. Um, so he, yeah, he, first of all, he's got tons of giant stuff. He is apparently, like, mostly a baseball sports writer, has, like, a baseball and a bat, but, like, no team paraphernalia. And if we track this, he was following the Yankees in the pilot. 
He was following the Mets in the second episode. I think they realized that the Mets-Yankees thing was going to be too divisive, and they abandoned it. You think so? So you think him having the Giants memorabilia, that's something more palatable to uh, I New think Yorkers. they thought that that would be a, uh, a safer sell than committing to Mets or Yankees. Because the – I mean, think of what year. So I, we checked the year, right? It's also – it's like mid-90s. The Yankees are like in full dynasty mode at this point. Yeah, that's their Derek Jeter – yeah, so I think that, I think they they realized that the Yankees had a certain you know cachet. The Mets would be making a statement, and so we decided on uh, three quarter turned away Giants memorabilia to be the the seat. yeah because because the Giants were like terrible back then. That's when they like Dave Brown was their quarterback. I think in nineteen ninety that they were awful. That's, that's once a, once again there. trying to slum Ray up for the uh, the common viewer at home. Yeah. They couldn't I mean, associate him with the Yankees. The Yankees are – they're like the most marketable American sports team, though. But like, I, you I go anywhere, like, people wear Yankee hats. Everybody – they all love Derek Jeter. I almost said everybody yeah, like loves Derek to, Jeter. <laughs> everybody loves Jeter. Yeah. <laughs> they do. The show this show is based on. The, uh, but, like, so then we learn uh, an interesting fact that Deborah was in PR at one point, apparently. Yeah, I guess she was a professional. Uh, and so she left her she left her job to uh, work to take full, uh, full-time care of the kids. It is uh, implied, but that she's a great writer and can twist the truth uh in flattering ways like she does for Uncle Gus. I I just thought this was actually an odd scene overall because you think like, oh, it's going to be about Deborah having like the skills. Oh, Deborah is the one who actually wrote the eulogy. But then no, Frank comes in and he's depressed because Marie is not cooking for him. And it's actually – then he leaves and is like, I'm not eating. Do the math. And that's actually it. That's the whole scene. Frank is like an animal. He's a man who is only motivated by his physical pleasures. But he's not crass enough at this point, you know? They're, they're, yeah, they are. They're kind of like easing into his uh, – They're t- very tame man, you know, hedonist. He's not full, like, you, you know, depraved and uh, – Amoral he's, at this point. He's more. He's like noble savage at this point. Yeah, it's more of the whole like you know. Well, I'm a man, and this is secretly what all men are like, which is you know an undergirding idea of the show. Mm. But it was a weird scene. So anyway, you know, Marie is upset because uh, her estranged sister, the sister she got in a fight with, is going to be at this funeral, and so they so Ray goes over to Marie's, um, you know, his parents' house to try to. Bury the I don't know. He's gonna try to do some damage control, I guess. And uh, one, you know, if we're keeping track, we get another gay joke. Uh, much yeah. softer, much softer this time. Guys Just, can uh, say that now. Yeah, he comments on the man's appearance and has to explain to his mom that guys can say that now. Yeah. Um, did you get the impression that Marie had an affair with Gus at some point, or was quite into him? No, not really. Well, they're looking at this photo, and Ray's like, he's he's a good-looking guy. And Marie's like, oh, yes, of course. Remember the time he did this, and remember the time he did that. And, like, has all these fond memories of Gus. That I was like, this is... There might be something to that, because I also have written down, she says before uh, about Frank, Ray's dad, she says, quote, he hates when I cry. It reminds him of our wedding night. Yeah. (laughs) Which... Marie says that about Frank. Yeah, it it doesn't make sense. I thought Marie was supposed to be, like, this... Very like Catholic traditional mother who would never broach the subject of sex in front of uh, Raymond's her favorite child, so it was weird. And it's it's it also weird. disgusting. 
It, the whole, like, yeah, I, I cried on our wedding. My, my being wed to Frank, you know, brought me to tears. I, I didn't really know how to take that. Yeah, and it's, then, and the, uh, is the implication that, like, Frank is impotent, though? She had to go to Gus for... Oh, that's for, uh, the uh, the Band of Gold narrative. You know that one? No. Well, so, okay, so you, there's, like, a... Uh, I think it's just, like, like soft soul, like, edge of disco hit, Band of Gold, by, um... I think her name's Frida Payne. Uh, it's a first of all, it's a super catchy, great. It's like seventies AM hit, and uh, it does it like details the story of like some merit like a relationship that fell apart on the wedding night. All that's left is a band of gold, and uh, the implication is that he he couldn't do it. The man couldn't uh, perform. Is is it likely to be something I've heard before and just don't recognize it by name? Uh, when I heard it the first time, like when I I found it, I was like, oh, I don't think I've heard this before. And then I've heard it a bunch since then, so it's a maybe. Hmm. Uh, it's a good song though. Yeah, listeners, uh, take note. Anyway, um, <laughs> what happens next is that, uh, or not what happens next, but one of the the last thing I want to talk about in the scene is that. Um, Marie, at one point, you know, as she's starting to get upset and agitated, accuses, uh, makes the accusation to Raymond that he thinks this is all a joke. Yeah. And the the thing I realized, though, is that he does think it's all a joke. <laughs> she's not wrong. He takes nothing seriously. Well, this it goes back to what we were talking about the first couple episodes. He He legitimately is like an 11 or 12-year-old boy who has been given adult responsibilities and an adult's body and family and his mentality yeah. he has like 12 year old problems that's that's how he approaches everything his like his mom too- is, is crying over like her you know she hasn't talked to her sister in seven years and ray sits down and turns the uh, tv on you know to quote <laughs> get the scores <laughs> well, he is a sports writer right he's got to get the scores but i mean she tells him, like, you think this is all a joke. And he's like, no, no, I don't. As if even even to the viewer at the time, the joke is that clearly he does. It's not like I'm making some kind of critical point. That's the premise of the scene. Yeah, because he's, he's razzing her and he's making comments to rile her up. He's, he's clearly not taking her uh, trauma seriously at all. But the writer seems to be aware that Marie would would take this very seriously and would be actually hurt and upset by it because she doesn't call him Raymond sweetly. She calls him Ray, and then she says, get out of my house and force yeah, him to she, leave. She kicks him out. In tears. So the but writers was, knew to make her that upset and also to make Raymond care that little. But I, I will say I was kind of struck by her. Her rather cold demeanor when she came back into the kitchen when Ray had put the TV on, yeah. almost as almost as if she she'd like staged this whole crying episode in order to um, elicit Ray's sympathies. So he well, would... that's the other thing is yeah, how much of a performer is Marie even in this you know ostensibly authentic scene? I I lean more towards that little some crocodile tears from Marie, even I though th- Ray is an insensitive you know man child but so that's a doris roberts issue then you know because she played that she played those tears for she played them straight you know i bought them she seemed legitimately upset yeah see i i didn't buy him as much i thought they were more uh in the service of manipulation rather than something sincere so i'm gonna blame that entirely on um unconscious misogyny and i just take women more seriously 
I'm going to blame it on uh, Doris Roberts, who is dead and can't defend herself. It, she died? Yeah, she's dead. I actually didn't know that. Um, I'll cut this, though. I'll make it seem like I did. Um, <laughs> so the uh, the next scene is at the funeral itself, Gus's funeral, Uncle Gus. And yes. uh, first thing I, you, know, you notice is that it's uh, packed to the rafters with uh, veterans. There are a lot of people in uh, antique costume army uniforms. Yeah. And um, I, actually, I, I thought that was actually, like, funny. I thought it was a nice touch with the um... – well, you'll mention it with the... You mean the Hitler mustache? Yeah. Right, so days later, they've apparently made no progress on removing <laughs> their child's Hitler mustache and decided to just bring him to this funeral like that anyway. And I was thinking to myself, if you can't get rid of it, just put a little more mustache on either side. Don't bring him as Hitler. Yeah, that's true, because you can still say that, oh, Allie was playing around with the with the marker, and she put a mustache on. Yeah, it, again, uh, Ray doesn't care isn't at all. like the he makes... mass murderer in history. No, Ray makes no effort to correct this, pro- presumably knowing that the funeral will be packed with veterans. Who? The, so, But then we find out, and this is what I'm so frustrated with, that, that cold open joke is literally for one follow-up joke to have a veteran aghast at what he appears to believe is the reincarnation of Hitler <laughs> at the funeral. <laughs> It's I, a passing joke. I I got a chuckle out of it. I'm not gonna lie. I was and the no, bar I did is too. the I bar did too. is so low though that I I thought impressed brought back a joke from the cold well, it's open. A good, it's a good callback, but it's also like wow they they spent a lot of minutes setting this thing up for that. <laughs> it's, it's a bit contrived. I don't know. So then the, you go from that, which is like one of the strangest laughs in the series so far, to uh, an ovation. When uh, Aunt Alda, Marie's estranged sister, enters the picture, um, did you know who this woman was before you? Did you look it up? Did you? You know, what's the deal here? So when I looked it up and I looked, oh it no, up no no no! And I, when you watched the episode, you didn't know. No, I didn't know. Okay, well, I'm going to edit this to make it seem like I did know and that you did not. <laughs> when I when I looked it up though, and I saw like in her first paragraph of Wikipedia what she was known for. I was like, oh, okay, that right. The makes face, the face was so familiar, but for some reason, I had like I looked at her and was like, I don't recognize her at all. And then as soon as I saw that, yeah. So anyway, Ann Alda, the guest star today, played uh, Edith Bunker, Archie Bunker's wife on All in the Family. Yes, got a uh, big, big ovation when she showed up. And uh, the rest of the episode sort of devolves into this like Marie Alda, um, kind of like almost in this like old Hollywood insult trading that was. Yeah, I, I found relatively enjoyable. You did yeah, a couple good zingers from the writers, and yeah, it was kind of like like Betty Davis and like Joan Crawford or something. Yeah, they had that campy forth. stage presence that was like yeah, you, a lot of, you don't. Have, it's just not based on the way re- people really talk. It's entirely like a stage vernacular. Yeah, a lot of like putting one hand on your hip and stepping forward <laughs> as you. Yeah, yeah. The way the, uh, you know, musical theater people think the way the world works. So a, a couple things about the funeral scene, and I, I have to mention now that Ray immediately tells Robert, don't make the noise that you make at funerals, which is a very weird way to yes. preface that. Um, you know, obviously that's another, you know, like 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 Chekhov's water gun. It's going to go off in two and a half minutes. But um, <laughs> It did pique my anticipation. I, I wanted to know. I wanted to know. Yeah. Uh, like we said, though, we assumed it would be something a human body would make involuntarily, not like a constructed and practiced sound he seems to perform at funerals 
Yeah. Like, anyway. No, I was going to say it. It was like it was it's like a I shouldn't say until we get to it. OK, so uh, when they show you a shot of the casket, did you notice that over Uncle Gus's uh, photo, there's a garland that says Arrivederci, Gus? <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm pissed yeah. I didn't notice that. It looks like it was written in fucking marinara sauce. It's all sloppy. It's like poorly written. <laughs> it's stri- like you know, stretched over his photo. Arrivederci, Gus. <laughs> I was and, too. Uh, I was too focused on the fact it was. It was not like any funeral I'd, I've ever seen depicted well, oh, in that's media the, ever. Yeah, that's the the brunt of my notes from this part. Is that like it's one of the worst staged funerals <laughs> ever. Yeah, and like we talked, like I think I, I mean I, I was hammering this point home on the last episode that like, for for the quality of show that it is, it's it's often pretty competent. Like it knows how to get a sitcom laugh, you know. Yeah. Um, this seemed in completely incompetent. There was no expertise. It was like the people who wrote this had never been to a funeral. Yeah, I I almost feel like they they only had uh, Gene Stapleton for like one day, so they had to like film everything. And almost like they cut what had already been written for that scene to allow Gene Stapleton to riff. And, like, this is – it only gets worse later. But while they're doing this, first of all, they're in the aisle in the middle of a funeral, you know, 10 feet from the casket. And everybody is just patiently watching them and allowing them to conduct this little uh, repartee. Yeah, and there, there's no, like, ceremony going on. No like ceremony. They, like, Ray – and his family just show up to the church and as they're walking in they're witnessing this argument and people like milling around so yeah, obviously the, like no like benediction has uh, taken place no and everyone's very accommodating like oh let them let them have their fight in the middle of the funeral don't bother them just watch patiently and quietly um, yeah. and uh so yeah so like ray and deborah and the family come in and they're immediately like oh ray it's time for your eulogy <laughs> now <laughs> And so this is like this is the tropiest moment of the episode, right, where it's like he he starts to give, I would say, one of the like least convincing cliche funeral speeches. It was like where and when he was born and the weight of the infant. Um, Yeah, like almost like that's too bad, even for Ray. And then um, we get the impromptu speech. They're like, listen, I'm not going to say what I plan to say. Yeah, he gets heartfelt. And he also said earlier, as he was walking in with Deborah too, about the eulogy, he goes, he goes, I, he goes, I didn't have time to finish it with all the stuff with my ma. Oh, right. Like, he just came unprepared. Yeah, like, that's no excuse. Like, I was under the impression he had, like, two or three days to do this thing. And he the thing with his like mother. Tomorrow. Yeah, and the thing with his mother was, like, one evening. So yeah, so he, he – he, well, yeah, I mean pattern of Ray blowing things off. So he blows off the eulogy, makes the pivot to like the supposedly heartfelt speech. It, it really isn't. He's just scolding his mom and his aunt for fighting and saying, you want to end up like Gus one day or not? Like <laughs> Gus had no gripes with the world when he went out. Isn't, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> yeah, see, he brings up their impending uh, mortality. And when he finishes the speech, everyone applauds. Does anyone applaud at a funeral? Well, so I I wanted to ask you that. Was that supposed to be like in the show, the people uh, yes. in the church, or was that the audience, the what's the, the uh, audience lap track clapping? What's the term for that? Like the film school thing. Um, oh, um, in the diegesis, right? Is it diegetic or di- is it diegetic? Diegetic. Yeah, yeah, I I got the impression it was meant to be diegetic, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't know, because I, I was so – I was 
equally as confused as you, I think. It was very interesting. Yeah, I I don't know. Just another example of incompetence, I guess. Well, right. So who claps at a funeral? So then you assume it's the audience. But I, I can swear that I saw people clapping in the scene, and now I don't really know for sure. But either way, his his very angry and uh, brusque funeral speech gets an ovation for some reason. Um, and what we learn along the way is that apparently uh, Raymond and Deborah's wedding sucked ass. There was nothing good about it. Yeah, cold veal and cold everybody veal. left early. Nobody danced. Nobody danced. They're all seated in tasted bad, bad tables, and uh, they apparently didn't receive gifts from most of their guests. And the champagne <laughs> yeah. was flat, which I found to be an extremely specific and unreasonable complaint about a wedding. <laughs> yeah, to bring up like seven years later in a fit of anger when yeah, you're they're in a pouring pew at the champagne funeral. in advance for the toast. You're not supposed to be like, oh wow, this is the best glass of champagne I ever had. They're giving it to 200 people. You idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, apparently Ray and Deborah's wedding sucked, and Deborah doesn't also seem to care. She's like, "Oh, sorry." Hmm. Now Deborah's like, Deborah's got other things on her mind this episode. So Ray's like closing line in the eulogy is, "You know, how much time is there, really?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do have that written down in quotes. And then, like, so as usual, as we've already established, uh, he gives this like quote-unquote successful eulogy. And as they're walking out of the church, Deborah's like, "Yeah, I'm pretty turned on by this." <laughs> like, yeah, because because um, Alda Marie's sister, and she like make up outside in like the vestibule, and Deborah comes out. And she's like, "Wow, you did this between this and the eulogy. I am really turned on." Yeah, like like the most perverse source of like erotic like whatever's been the most perverse source available is the thing deborah gravitates toward yes a, a, a man's dead body in a church right an, an angry days. eulogy and the reconciliation of two old women this is what's got her going this is what does it for deborah well and then but here's the other thing deborah then proceeds to ruin ray's achievement by immediately ruining the reconciliation and Alda and Marie are at each other's throats again because of Deborah cuz she gets a little greedy for apologies she does. she she like Apollo she flutes or not Icarus? Apollo Icarus, Apo- yes because of the sun don't worry i'll cut that to make it sound like you committed to it and did not correct yourself no apollo was the one everybody knows apollo creed flew too close to the sun and then yes. rock knocked him out in 15 rounds um yeah. So I actually have, like, no notes on where the episode goes from here, except that Deborah's uh, no longer interested in sex by the time they get home. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, no, because yeah, they're sitting on the couch, and Ray's like, oh, what a day. Oh. And so he goes, he goes, want to do it? And the audience laughs uproariously. And you hear, like, at the end, just, like, very faintly go, I might. Oh, so she is still turned on. Yes, just just I, I think like it, it's like there's a way in which the show can really be called like not everybody loves Raymond, but like is Deborah horny? That could really just be like the whole show is a as a barometer of Deborah's interest in Ray. Is it up or is it down right now? <laughs> the, the, what situations will uh will make Deborah <laughs> horny? Watching it's like, like one of those like Schindler's uh, List or. 
those like mm-hmm. animal studies where they offer like ten different foods and they see which one it goes to. Like, <laughs> but, so of, don't they do that seem... in, like the Metamorphosis? They give Gregor like bread and meat and like no, he went to the garbage. That's what we give him now. <laughs> he he liked the garbage most. Deborah does seem to be attracted to the most you know filthy and depraved aspects of human nature. Well, yes, I mean, she... and I want I want to talk about that more in the second one. But what were you gonna say? No, because she is. I mean, look who she married. She married this, you know, mentally and emotionally stunted man child. Yes, and I think that, like, it's not that she loves him despite that. I do think she really loves his childishness. I, I think she's sort of, like, perversely attracted to how much of a child he is. So, yeah, you th- you think it's something, like, sinister. Not that she's, oh, he's, like, he's so boyish and innocent, and that's why I fell in love with him. You think it's more like a Nurse Ratched thing, where she thinks she can... Oh like yeah, control him, but not, maybe not even control. Like she seems to be most attracted to him when he's acting the most juvenile. She but rebels it, in when she can't there's control a few, him. There's a few more like um, cogent examples of it in the second episode we'll do today. But before we get there, you said before, right? The show kind of like is hitting its stride. Or you were telling me this before we started taping, but that this seems like the show is, is picking up steam. Kind of knows what it's about at this point. Is it becoming good? Ah. It's it's tough to say. I think it's becoming better by the terms it's set for itself. On like objective terms, as somebody watching it and who wants to be entertained, I I don't think it ever gets good. But it does become more competent. I think. I think we're gonna keep using this like competence as a as the yeah. only available metric thing. I'm, we're gonna have to force ourselves out of it. But for now, right? It's just it's becoming slightly more competent, minus the most bizarre lifeless wooden funeral scene i've ever seen yeah it was, it was the just, actors didn't do anything like 40 extras just sat in the pews staring quietly at them yeah, it's just be, he walked in and the whoever was officiating it just walked up to him and said okay they're ready for you it was nuts yeah really just insane all right so uh that that does it for episode three episode four is uh called standard deviation as we said uh, uh you know the common calculus term that everyone knows and loves yes and um oh shit you know we didn't mention um that the sound robert makes at funerals uh that that gun does go off and it is not what you expect oh yeah robert's like lighthouse noise <laughs> it, what is it supposed to be i so i thought when i first heard it because remember marie Makes some joke about Ray's hair. Yeah. Her sister's like, oh, Ray's hair looks good. She goes, his hair looks terrible. Right. I thought he was going, hair, like making fun of Ray's hair. <laughs> okay, so is that your best impression of the noise? I, I guess so, yeah. I mean, no, okay. I mean, that is pretty close. It's like, <laughs> Yeah. I, but it's not like... It's it's not an involuntary sound. It, it is a consciously made noise. Yeah, this it's weird. It it's a very strange compulsion even for Robert to have. So what is the premise of the joke? That it's just another symptom of his OCD? I guess so. Like Robert's it's, it, it's the first time that that joke has become borderline offensive then. <laughs> like that's like he, yeah, it's, he's acting clownishly and not just in like a cutesy he organizes things and touches his chin way in like he's barking at a funeral. Yeah, it's like making a mockery of like Tourette syndrome or something. 
It, it yeah, that's you know that's what it is. Is that like it? It seems to go past OCD to like mild Tourette's. Uh, anyway, episode four. Very problematic. <laughs> yes, episode yeah. four. Uh, standard deviation. So cold open here. What do you got? Cold open. So there's a shower sequence. Ooh, Ray's in the shower. Deborah's brushing her teeth, and um, Ray's Ray's getting a little fastidious about his hair, and Deborah's razzing him about it. So do, makes, it's a relatable joke, though. It's a relatable joke. It it is actually. It's kind of because he can't remember if he shampooed his hair, and if he does it again, it's going to be too fluffy. But then he doesn't want it to be too oily, and then he makes a joke to Deborah because I guess she um, she had a haircut one time that she was worried it made her her ass look big. Right. Uh, totally analogous. Makes complete sense. Yes. So, Dude, then, so wait, but in terms of the relatability. I've had the whole, like, did I shampoo my hair or not mental debate, you know, a lot. But do you – like, for me, it's like, oh, you shouldn't shampoo it again because it's rough on your scalp. Do you, have you just, like, makes your hair fluffy thing? Is that a thing? Well, I've I've never shampooed, so I – Oh, you're, I, you're anti-shampoo? I, yeah, I, I, I barely even bathe, honestly. It's oh, just, you're a non-bather. Non-bather. It's, it's when it rains out. I'll, like, um, I'll get, like, some dishwashing soap. Just get out and lather up in the rain. Just lather up. You know, I like that though. It's like you let the you let the gods decide when it's time for you to bathe. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like a druid. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how they behaved. Certainly, they made these kind of transactions with their gods. Yes. But anyway, so anyway, I just didn't know that it was about like how your hair would turn out. I thought it was about like scalp health. No, I. In, in all seriousness, I I have had before where I like to alternate. I'll wash my hair every other day, and then I found if I do if I shampoo and then condition, my hair does get like kind of fluffy and unmanageable, and it looks like like Wayne Newton's or something like that. That's interesting just, to me. Where it's just like a really silly. Well, your, your hair is kind of like uh, straight naturally. And mine tends to be like a little more. I'm taking curved. that as like the equivalent of you doxing me. My identity is now completely. I, I I thought about that as soon as I said it. I'm like painting <laughs> a picture now. Yep. Matt's Anybody, any any court stenographer, or court illustrator could mock up a picture of me from that description, and I'd be found out immediately. And just to remind everybody, this is a podcast about everybody loves Raymond, the uh, beloved '90s sitcom. <laughs> and, um, and <laughs> anything cosmetics. else? About this, uh, bathroom cold open. Cosmetics, music trivia. Uh, no, other than, um, so Deborah's retaliation is, um, she inflicts bodily harm on Raymond by turning up the heat in the shower to a scalding Yeah, she level. turns off the cold water, burns her husband, and then destroys her bathroom. Yeah, because you hear, like, a glass crashing sounds. And a, ow. Ow, yeah. And so then, you know, the uh, Rick Murata's jazz piano. Yes. And now so, here's, I want to bring up a, a, a thread from earlier, right? Because I had my suspicions about... The regionality of the show, right? This whole like Yankees Mets thing, the safety of the Giants, etc. Did you notice in this intro that Ray, Ray? I'm going to say Ray Romano, actor Ray Romano says, "I live." Uh, he's. I can't even do it. It's so unnatural. He says, "I live in Long Island." Oh, he says in. He doesn't say he, on Long Island. He says in. He says, "I live in Long Island." Oh, see, that's yeah. That that's weird. I feel yeah. like it's one of the most like well-known, recognizable. You're not from Long Island if you say that things. Yeah, and his his accent, his dialect is very clearly 
you know, New York City. Yeah, uh, he. I, I checked into this because I was like, is this all a sham? But he's really born and raised in Queens. He should know better. Yeah. And maybe, I, I, I mean, so, maybe that was a note from the producers that they thought it was too like inside yes. for New York people. I, I feel like there's like there's these producer tweaks to reach middle America, you know, the like ideal sitcom audience that like almost run against the strengths of the show. Yeah, it's true. And then it's something they're going to go into later because of the whole saga when Robert starts dating Amy. Amy's, oh, yeah. Amy's from like Western Pennsylvania or some shit. I mean, and, unfortunately, uh, we have, like, years to go for that, right? Yeah, too. There's, there's 23 episodes in every season. And she's, like, a season six or seven character, right? I, I think so, yeah. So this is... This All right, is, yeah. This is torture. I don't we know We gotta what, speed it up, then. We gotta a, get to this, Amy. This is a mistake. So, so yeah, in the, in the house... speeding up this episode, we'll do it. Ray is doing the bills, right? Yeah, and he's making his patented noises as he's shuffling these papers around. So why are these papers that he's got in a shoebox anyway? They they're records of all they say is it's insurance payments. Yeah, it's about health insurance, I think. It it is health insurance, right? But um, I did want to bring up so Ray's shuffling these papers and Deborah comes downstairs and she's you know positively joyful because she's put the kids down to bed. And she uh, does an impression of Martin Luther King. His, oh, yeah, her free at last speech. I looked into it, and um, Patricia Heaton wanted to do blackface for that scene. <laughs> that was uh, – they had to Phil, stop. Phil Rosenthal thought that might be going too far. Yeah, Phil didn't want to overplay his oaf hands. Well, he's like, we know how middle America loves blackface, but <laughs> from a woman? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, oh, blackface is fine as long as white <laughs> as white males are doing it. Yeah, and the white women, well, not yet, too early. Yeah, no. But so yeah, she also says like after she gives this, she like parodies Martin Luther King. She then says, "Now it's all about me, me, me," as if like that's what Mar- MLK was aiming toward. Like, when are we going to reach the point where it's about me, me, me? Yes. So Deborah is the bridge between um, Martin Luther King Jr. and Agent Smith in <laughs> Matrix Reloaded. Well, speaking of like fucking creepy ass things, um, a part of the show that I remember deeply made its first appearance here, or what I think is its first appearance, is this bizarre, creepy jester doll on the corner of the staircase. Oh yeah, I I noticed that. I wasn't as, as disturbed as by it. Oh, I had such a visceral reaction to it. Because it was like I realized it was a, a real part of my memory, and it's scary. It's like a, you know, a dead-faced baby doll in like full jester regalia that's just like slumped on the corner of their staircase. It is. It is a bit unsettling. I I don't like it, but it's here. It's here to stay. I think. So yeah, Ray's. So Ray is apparently given this task to go through uh, their health insurance bills and organize them in some way. And so he makes he makes a very misogynistic comment about how it oh was, this was crazy about how this is women's work he uses the term women's work yeah he literally says this is women's work and <laughs> the le- the studio laugh track boos him <laughs> yeah he's Ray's a he's a real heel well it reminded me it was like okay this is not filmed in front of a studio audience right that's a laugh track yeah I think and so. the laugh track booed the lead actor. <laughs> 
that's that's, that's really... Phil. Phil realized he has to cover for you know Deborah's basic blackface. The Deborah graphic. Yeah, so they have to go. Okay, the show has a social conscience here. Yeah, it's about gender, to, not race. <laughs> we we need to bring. Yes, we need to rescue Deborah's image from the doldrums. But it made me question: like, do do studios have access to like a boo track? <laughs> Is that like in their pocket? Yeah, I think that's. There's only like five or six tracks that they need. So like, they need the laugh, the boo. They need the the oh. Yeah, thing. but this one, like Raymond, I will say, has a very responsive laugh track. It plays along with like the the beats and the rhythms of the scene. Well, especially these these two episodes, they they really ramped it up big time. You to get, the like, point where I'm like, do they show it after it's done to an audience and then record that live? Because it was really really precise. Yeah, hmm. unless unless Rick Morata is um, <laughs> He's operating composing. the laugh track, <laughs> so. That's actually He's drums. So it just sounds like claps. But what about this IQ test? Let me lead you in here. Oh yeah, sorry. So all I all I want to add is there's there's one rejoinder to Ray's women's work comment where Deborah goes, "Oh, what's men's work? Sitting sitting around and scratching yourself." And she spreads her legs and scr- scratches her crotch. So Deborah's like a foul, disgusting creature, like the rest of them. Well, we already know what she thinks of her husband. We can presume that extends to all men generally. Yes. And uh, as you mentioned, this is the scene that um, Ray's rubbing her feet. And Ray does mention that it disgusts him under every other circumstance, which is something you mentioned in our last episode, that his attitude towards parts of the body and bodily functions is... Yeah, and he says it'll incredibly... make him sick to do this. Yes. So, yeah, so... <laughs> so Robert, Robert comes in, and it, he says, uh, it's, I, it didn't look like you guys were too busy, and it's revealed that he... Just watches them through the windows sometimes. Yeah, this is a, a habit, a, yeah, a habitual thing for him. Yeah, he he um, he chalks it up to being a police officer, and uh, going off, it's part of his training. Yeah, and so uh, part of that though is in order to make lieutenants, he's taking this course where he has to administer IQ tests to people and record their results. So mm-hmm. he's going to give these IQ tests to uh, Raymond and Deborah. Right. And so um, he does. So he brings Deborah down first into Ray's um, little basement office that we've seen before. And Ray's upstairs kind of pacing around, uh, very nervous about the whole thing. So um, yeah, he doesn't like the idea that their intelligences will be tested. I did have a comment here. Did you make a note of what Deborah is reading in this scene? No, I, I should have because she comes. She's yeah, reading she, like a dense book from like square in the middle of it. I'm going to bring it up again later when I got a better look at the title, but for now, just go on. Yeah, and uh, that's that's interesting. I didn't even think to um, look at that. Well, that's why I call myself the host, and you're then my it's, co-host. It's Ray's turn to take. Whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa! I will not be the robber to your Raymonds. I'm going to lead with that. <laughs> so anyway, the IQ uh, test itself. The IQ tests itself. So then it's Ray's turn. He gets called down to his little basement office. And um, Robert is very strict about it, as is his wants. He's very particular. He also does this thing whenever he says IQ test, he taps his forehead with his uh, index finger and middle finger Uh, twice. This is just too much. Yeah, and so he's 
there's you know there's a little sequence where there's a thing with blocks that Ray doesn't understand right away, and Roberts uh, doesn't give him the time to. And so Ray's nervous. Yeah, the test the test is like comically short and in, impossible to do. Yeah, and like he's asking him trivia about like Eli Whitney and shit. Well, that's the giveaway, right? Like it's historical trivia on your IQ test. Who? Yeah. Like, we open the scene with the Magna Carta. <laughs> yeah. And then he says Eli Wallach instead of Eli Whitney, which oh, yeah. I think even for like 1996 is a very dated reference. Right, and it, I, I, to the point where I had to look it up. But anyway, so so Ray, Ray is nervous about his test, goes upstairs, and he and Deborah have a little back and forth about it. Uh, he lies about it. And so uh, Frank and Marie come in. And, yes, uh, yes. Frank, Frank expresses skepticism about IQ tests. He talks about street smarts. And Marie counteracts him right away, um, saying that he once bought he bought seafood on <laughs> the back of a derelict's car. I have that exact line written verbatim to make sure I didn't forget. You bought seafood out of the back of a derelict's car. <laughs> Just the term derelict. And also, how does this have anything to do with street smarts? You should know better than to buy your seafood from the trunk of someone's car. Anybody who lived on the street would know that. Yeah, that's that's a that's a golden rule of the streets. You don't, you don't learn that in school. <laughs> they teach you that on the streets. That's that's, that's something you got to learn on the streets of the Big Apple. Right. So Frank and Marie uh, said no to the test. They were Frank. He's too insecure about his intelligence, uh, and he yeah. says, "I am very street smart." <laughs> he taps his head. Yes. And um, so, and so, so, yeah, the scores. Yes, Robert comes up, and apparently Deborah is one standard deviation, hence the title of the episode, higher than Ray in intelligence. Ray scores a 100, Deborah scores a 115. Right, so Deborah is a human, and, and Ray is slightly below that. Yeah, Ray's like a, uh, like Homo erectus. Yes. Well, what are we? Your Homo sapiens sapiens? He's only got the one sapiens. He's, he's he doesn't have that second sapien. It's just the one sapiens, really. <laughs> it's just the one sapien, actually. So yeah, Ray's dumb, uh, especially compared to Deborah. We find out uh, through numbers and data. And the, uh, this is kind of like the idea is this is confirmation of what we know already, you know? Right. Of course, this is presumptive. And I have a little note though. Is this? Um, Frank's first utterance of holy crap? I think it is, actually. I made the same note that, yes, the Frank's, like, tagline for the show, holy crap, makes its first appearance. Yeah, this is this is going to be abused in later seasons. He does say crap again, I think, in the episode, or he had already said it, I think, in the funeral one. But holy crap, the, you know, the unit that we know and love is first deployed here. See, it's like, you know, like I'm saying there. They're like it's like me and you. We're on our second episode here. It took us a while to work out. Well, I, I don't know if one episode is a while to work out kinks, but they're, they're no. They're and also, we had said the main issue was that we we're going to make this shorter, and we were at almost double the length of the last one. Well, we were talking about other things as well, but anyway. Cut to Nemo's pizza. I mean, right? so we agree it's your fault. Anyway, so cut um, to Nemo. Cut to Nemo's the return of Nemo's pizza, and also the return of Bernie. And Linda, Ray and I thought Deborah's, they would never be back, yes. Yeah, after that shameful performance. But the, here they are. Bernie's got a new shirt on. He looks like um, – oh, I can't even – he looks like uh, like Better Call Saul or something. 
it it is definitely yeah like a sort of like you know slimy lawyer type I can like injury lawyer but not the Ch- Salino and Barnes level like whatever's <laughs> right below them <laughs> yeah he doesn't he doesn't have a like a a jingle that he's paid for that but, plays I mean, on the Linda, radio Linda and Bernie were so bad in episode two that we just assumed there's no way they can make it back they must have been like a failed experiment and yet here they are in episode four here they are. Back in their glory, they're cozied up with each other again. However, across. however, their relationship seems to have cooled in this episode. Yeah, they're not, you know, making out with each other. No, they're not like climbing over the table to grope each other at Nemo's on a Tuesday. They're uh, just, a, you know, a normal married couple. Again, nobody seems to like each other all that much, couple to couple. Yeah, no, not at all. It doesn't seem like a pleasant arrangement for anybody involved. No, and then what's the deal? Like, it, there's like a very dated like tech reference thing here, right? Oh yeah, they're talking something about the internet, and uh, Bernie's like, "Oh well, Deborah knows all about email, but Ray, why don't you and I talk about pizza since that's more on your level?" So he's well, razzing, he's razzing Ray about he he knows about the IQ test. Yes, the implications they know about the test. I was actually referring to the fact that um, Bernie's store is online, and that's major news for the scene. And he 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 gives a URL in the scene. He says, "Go to www." Yes. And he like rolls it out. But yeah, the, um, the idea was it's supposed to be like comically long because the internet's going to be this fad that doesn't last or something. Yeah, exactly. Like like the the trouble the going through the trouble of giving a web address proves how stupid the internet is. <laughs> Yeah. No, and yeah, so he's he's razzing Ray though about uh Ray scoring lower than Deborah on the IQ test. And so they they separate. So Ray and or pardon me, Deborah and Linda go up to the counter or to the counter to get soda or something. And so it's just Ray and Bernie. Yeah, so oh, yeah and here's the big revelation. So yeah, so Deborah talks to um Linda about how she feels bad about everything. And so Ray reveals that this is actually one of the best things that has ever happened to him. Because oh he's, yes, he's using his stupidity to his advantage. Uh, so I have two things here. First of all, I loved it as a plot development. Loved it because uh, I actually I didn't see it coming. I, I yeah, wasn't me sure where this one would go. I thought it was a great little twist. And then the second thing is that um, it really, really hammers on. Uh, it really confirms my theory uh, that Deborah is particularly attracted to Ray's. Um, stunted development and childishness because Ray reveals that not only is Deborah doing chores and favors for him, she is also much more amenable to sex now that Ray is certifiably stupid. I had to rewind and watch that a couple times because I don't know what specifically he was trying to refer to. Right. I, I know what you're getting at. Yeah. Because he goes, she's doing everything for me. And he makes this face like You're like even that, yeah. And like Bernie, like Bernie realizes it right away. Well, do you think it was a particular sex act or just sex in general? I, it's got to be some kind of sex act. But like, what would right. it be? Because because the implication would be it, it's something that's not performed in like the normal course. No, Maybe. but what is what is also like normal course sitcom nineteen ninety six? I guess, but they've. I feel like I was a bit surprised at how much they broached um, the sexual relationship between Deborah and Ray already. That Deborah's actually willing to have sex more than we thought, and they're right. rubbing feet, and she's turned on. 
So but now that she knows he's dumb, there's some new thing she's willing to do. Do you think it's anal? No, I thought it was oral. Oh, she doesn't even – Ray doesn't get BJ's? It's 1996. The world was different. You think so? You think it was that different? Well, actually, I read a, I read a historical thing from the uh, 16th century recently where that was considered something only the French did and even, even there, just the prostitutes. So I think it took a long time to make its way into the mainstream. Possibly, possibly. I think it was something that was like, you know, wild, progressive, if you're with it, you're with it types did, but not like traditional domestic uh, Italian-American married couples on Long Island. In Long Island. Right, in Ray's terminology. So anyway, Deborah's attracted to Ray's adolescence, and uh, then we cut to the house at night. We've got a nice night scene. Nice night scene. Kids, kids are in bed. There are no kids in this episode. True to Ray's promise in the intro. Not really about the kids. Not really about the kids. And so <laughs> Deborah brings Ray ice cream. And, yes. And Ray does. He says, for what reason? Cream. He says ice cream on the couch, like a child. Right. I'm being allowed to eat ice cream in the place where I always wished I could eat ice cream. Yes. <laughs> Again, comport, comports with your theory pretty well. Right, so Deborah's willing to let him indulge his most childish uh, impulses, and then uh, for what reason? What do we find out is the the, or what's the what's the consequence here? What happens? So the consequence, so like Ray is portraying himself as this, you know, intellectual weakling, but he overplays his hands a bit because his assigned task at the beginning of the episode with the insurance, uh, health insurance papers, he tries to pawn off on Deborah, and so now she sees through. Oh him. yeah. He went a bridge. Yeah, it's a bridge too far. You're not making me do the health insurance papers. Right, like like Apollo once again. <laughs> <laughs> this is the classic Apollonian move when you ask your spouse to do the health insurance and you melt in the sun. <laughs> yes, that's. I believe that was in Sophocles, right? Right. Fragments of Sappho. Yes. But so she calls she calls Ray a little weasel. <laughs> yeah, I have little weasel written here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so. Robert stor- storms in once again in his sweatshirt sweater that says police on it. Oh, and it's like he came in just to give more credence to my theory, but go on. Yeah, he says, I thought I saw an argument, so he was watching them again. Clever line. Got to give it yeah, to him. It was. It was actually pretty good. These two episodes, Brad Garrett as Robert, he was serviceable. He was, he was not bad. His timing was pretty good. Yeah, I'm starting to rely on Robert at this point. But yeah. anyway, he, he reveals to them. He reveals to them he he jumbled up the scores. It's actually Ray who was smarter than Deborah. My lord. So, so this this is a big bombshell. And so Ray's gloating about it a little bit. It destroys made... the family. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was citing some like uh like misogynistic trope that the husband should be smarter than the wife for a happy family. Oh right, so Ray has this like like uh, apocryphal knowledge that like if the man is smarter, the marriage will be good. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, yes. Yeah, so he sits down next to Deborah and reiterates that point, and she takes the ice cream and shoves it into his crotch. Right. She she literally ices him off like she dumps cold ice cream on his crotch. Again, like I said, more credence to the fact that if Ray is presented as smart, capable, intelligent, no sexual interest whatsoever from Deborah. 
the, the, the symbolism is rich. And also I wrote down – I think that's like the longest laugh track break so far. Oh, they were so, they were ripping it on this one. Uh, like a, a solid like 45 seconds at least. I know. It was like a significant part of the script must have been Ray sits with ice cream on his crotch. Ray continues to sit with ice cream on his crotch. There was no, no lines, no movement. The laugh track just kept rolling. Yeah. I guess it's a good way to pad out the episode because it, it, it kind of um, – it loses steam at the ends. Because, so the next scene is them in bed, and uh, there's a sequence where Ray tries to touch Jabber ostensibly to prod her into sex, and she says no. And it's revealed that Ray has told everybody that he is smarter than Deborah is. Right, and he tries to like play Deborah like a Mellotron. <laughs> like he's like moving his hand in weird ways over her shoulder and seeing what reaction he gets. Yeah, and apparently she can like sense it. Uh, is that no? What's that instrument? What am I thinking of? Uh, uh, theremin. 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 Yeah, yeah. Apollo, I think. And so anyway, they they have an argument about it, and. Um, uh, I think the second time in the show, Ray, Ray goes to sleep on the couch. There's a lot of overreaction on this show where somebody goes to sleep on the couch in response uh, to a rather benign uh, disagreement. All right, so far you've got a 50% chance it's happening in an episode. Yes. And so – anyway, so he sleeps on the couch. So then they're having breakfast the next morning. And um, so Ray recalls some comments Deborah made to him last night that uh, – he didn't remember if her hair was long or short. Yeah, this is kind of significant. When asked if he remembers what her hair was like when they met, Ray has no idea. Yeah. So then at breakfast, though, he says that he actually remembers, and he remembers that it was short. And this is actually, I thought, um, decent on uh, Patricia Heaton's part, because initially she acts like kind of the moved. acting there. Yeah. yeah. She's like, "Oh, Ray, no." <laughs> right. It was so. Cool. Wasn't bad. Wasn't no, bad. No, not bad. The laugh hits, but in the continuing saga of Ray Barone, you know, not not a great uh, showing here. He does not remember what his wife looked like when he met her. <laughs> yeah, in the last episode, we found out he doesn't know how old she is or anything. Right. So he he remembers nearly nothing from the beginning of their relationship. It's like he woke up into a seven year marriage <laughs> when the show started. I think wasn't that a Nicolas Cage movie, Is like, that like Matchstick uh, Man or something? Oh, I thought it was called like The Family Man or something. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. So I've got. I mean, like like you said, the episode does kind of fall apart at this point. Um, there's one big reveal from Robert, right? Yeah. So Robert comes in when they're having breakfast, and he reveals that um, he was fucking with them. Basically, yeah. There were there were no scores at all. And it was yeah. just an experiment to see how Ray and Deborah would react. Yeah, it was a human behavior test. Yeah, so if Robert was the you know pulling the marionette strings in this episode, and he apparently pulled them elsewhere as well. Yes, with um, Frank and Marie, and so Frank and Marie took the test. Apparently, they walk in, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank is wearing an "I'm with stupid" <laughs> shirt, which that he just had in the in the in the, in the uh, back pocket, or did he go out and buy it? I would. I mean, I'm intent. I'm inclined to say that he went out and bought it, save for the fact that I can't imagine that character capable of making a purchase anywhere. Really, he seems completely incapable of like general social functioning. That's true. Marie has to buy everything for so him. So he asked Marie to buy him an "I'm with stupid" sweatshirt so he could wear it near her, and so she maybe obliged. His, maybe his IQ is higher if she would actually buy that shirt. 
I mean, it, it could be true. I would say so. Robert, you know, obviously the the ire falls on Robert by the end of the episode. He's been playing everyone, and uh, I had this like realization because he makes a weird he makes a weird face really often where he's like kind of like tucks his chin in and like looks up and like it's like sheepish but also kind of like he's like he's fighting down like the urge to yeah and like yell or something but he's also satisfied in a way um and i realized what look it reminded me of and it was like if somebody like pisses in a pool and like thinks nobody (laughs) knows what they're doing like this really sort of like gross release of like pleasure (laughs) <laughs> it's very accurate. It's pleasurable, but it's like shameful still. Yes, somehow. exactly. It's like it's like the the mark that you are indulging in something shamefully pleasurable <laughs> in public. <laughs> that's pretty accurate, I must say. So I mean, that's I'm I'm just gonna have to watch the you know ensuing episodes with that image of Robert just always pissing his pants <laughs> every time he's in the scene. Honestly, the way uh, they've set him up, it's not that's not too outlandish. No, if, if the next episode they told us like, oh, Robert, you had another accident, it would be totally in line with everything that's come before. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so two two last notes here. Um, I noticed when I'm watching, I'm paying, I've paid more attention to the credits here, and I noticed uh, credit was given to Worldwide Parts and HBO. Did you, did you get these when you watch on Daily Motion? Yeah, I think it's I think it's Worldwide Pants, which pants, is um, Pants, yeah. Which is it's uh that's David Letterman's production company. Right, yeah. So Letterman's production company is involved. Yeah, which which what is What about HBO though? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe because um the only thing I could think of if, if Ray was a stand-up comedian, yeah. I know HBO uh used to have this thing for comedians called One Night Stands where there were like these stand-up specials that they would yeah. give out to like up-and-coming comedians. So if they're Actually, you, when ex- I was younger, I would see that on like the TV Guide channel and think that it was like somehow erotic, and then go to it <laughs> and find like you know an '80s video of Mark Marin against a brick wall, <laughs> like, yeah, sitting down, and talking about fucking Reagan there. Yeah, but not actually fucking Reagan, which was the problem. Right. <laughs> but um, you're like Deborah with your uh, libido. <laughs> that's that's I'm the Deborah of this podcast. <laughs> But yeah, I, the only the only thing I think of so it's like Ray had performed stand up comedy for HBO and he's using material from a stand up act in the show. They might have to give credit that way. That that could be it. If it says like based on the comedy of Ray Romano, there might actually be copyrighted bits from an HBO performance that are incorporated in the episode. Uh, that that baffling phrase. Well, anyway, so so we did our research with the music this time. Let's do our research with HBO for next episode. Yeah, I th- I think that's fair. And while we're while we're here closing out, we should. Uh, I don't know if you took a look at the uh, the names or the plot summaries of the uh, upcoming episodes. I did not. Me neither. Total mystery. We're going into this blind. Um, we mentioned having a guest involved. Uh, we think we're you know that's still coming, but uh, coming soon. Maybe not next episode or the one after that, but but soon. Um, any any last thoughts on uh, standard deviation and? I wish I were Gus. No, I th- I think we were pretty comprehensive. I think uh, if the I think if the extremely. podcast listeners are dissatisfied, that's their problem. Really, we couldn't have done a better job. So, and maybe I, we should I reevaluate some things. We'll uh, we'll probably make some kind of 
uh, imprint in, in one social media form or another soon, so stay tuned for that. But uh, in the meantime, you know, keep loving Raymond, and uh, you'll hear from us soon. All right.